he looks to solve problems no matter whether they're in white neighborhoods or black neighborhoods or Democratic regions or Republican regions, and that, that builds goodwill and ultimately it builds, uh, it builds teamwork and success. Stay tuned. That's just part of what's ahead in our bonus content. More conversation coming up after this week's edition of In Focus. Exploring the issues that matter most in Indiana. This is In Focus with Dan Spieler. Anyone who would write an anonymous editorial uh, smearing this president, who's provided extraordinary leadership to this country, uh, should not be working for this administration. They ought to do the honorable thing and they ought to resign. Vice President Pence, one of many in the administration, speaking out against and denying their involvement in that anonymous op-ed written by a, quote, senior White House official who says they were trying to thwart some of the president's agenda and avoid what they call some of the president's worst inclinations. This is the White House also deals with that new Bob Woodward book coming out this week and a whole host of controversies. And it's all happening as the president's Supreme Court nominee faces a tough confirmation fight in the Senate confirmation battle that could have a big ripple effect here in Indiana this midterm election year. Lots to cover today. Good morning. I'm Dan Spieler. This truly stunning week in Washington comes right as campaign season kicks into high gear here in Indiana. All these big controversies with Indiana's Senate race also in the spotlight. Matt Smith has more. The nation is watching in what is one of the hottest races for U.S. Senate in the country. People often ask me. Don't get me wrong, the campaigning has already started. And thank you, Indiana. Thank you. But from this point forward, it's going into overdrive. Democrat Joe Donnelly is trying to hold on to his seat as Democrats try to take control of the U.S. Senate, while Republican businessman Mike Braun, with the backing of President Trump, is looking to unseat him. A vote for Mike Braun is a vote to, did you ever hear this before? Make America great again. Here's the funny thing in a red state like Indiana. Fact is, Joe Donnelly works hard for Hoosiers, joining with President Trump to build a wall and protect our borders. Both candidates in one aspect or another are trying to align themselves with the president. My focus is to just work on the issues. When you send me there, you're going to get a guy that's not afraid to speak up. Beyond the ads, the interviews, there will be two opportunities to hear from the candidates in formal debate settings. Those events will take place in October. All right, Matt, thanks. Meantime, a new Marist poll has Senator Donnelly up by six points head to head. But when you add in the Libertarian candidate, that lead, as you see here, just three points, 44-41. This past week, we heard from both Braun and Donnelly with the campaign kicking into high gear. This is the critical time when people start paying attention. And I think I've got to make the case, why should Hoosiers elect me versus Joe Donnelly? Well, Joe has made a career out of politics. And in that career, he has not done anything that sets himself aside because he's basically taken his marching orders from Chuck Schumer. Perhaps a reference there to this Supreme Court situation. Now, recently I sat down with Braun in an interview we showed you just last week. This past Wednesday, I spoke with Senator Donnelly about the Kavanaugh hearings and his views on the president. Senator, I want to start with the Kavanaugh hearings. You've obviously been hearing from a lot of people on both sides for and against Kavanaugh, especially in the midst of this Senate race. I know you haven't made up your mind yet, but after watching some of the confirmation hearings, uh, what are your thoughts so far after what you have seen and also from your one-on-one -on -one meeting with Judge Kavanaugh? Well, I think that it has been important that he's emphasized the fact that he would be impartial. And um, that's critical for a Supreme Court justice is to uh, 
uh, not be pro uh, this side or pro that side, pro plaintiff, pro defendant, but to be um, pro the Constitution and to realize how important precedent is that previous justices um, have weighed in on these cases. And so he's talking about that. I think it's important for that to, uh, to be an issue of discussion. We have a ways to go. But this is why I wanted to uh, make sure we had a chance to hear all of these things. I wanted everybody in Indiana to see this as well. What about the way this hearing got started? Democrats on the committee wanted to delay the hearings altogether because of uh, all the documents that had just been released the night before. It was very contentious. Obviously, a lot of people feel strongly about this one way or the other. But do you agree with that approach tactically to call for the hearings to be delayed altogether? Well, I think that um, 42,000 documents, if I'm not mistaken, were uh, put out the night before, which gave about 12 hours, 20 hours to read, which is physically impossible to do. And so um, certainly in the days leading up to the hearings, those documents could have, uh, could have been let, let forward, could have been released, and it would have been much more fair to be able to have a chance to read them as they're part of the record. However, um, the committee hearings are going, and we are moving forward. And so, um, I, you know, I, I, would, uh, I would not stop my efforts or my work in this, but I don't think it was fair either that 42,000 documents are released a few hours before the hearings start. What about some in your party who say uh, perhaps this should have been delayed because of the legal troubles encircling those who were in the president's inner circle? Kavanaugh has suggested in the past that sitting presidents shouldn't be subpoenaed or, or even questioned in some cases. Do, do you agree with some of your colleagues who have expressed those concerns? Well, I think that um, Judge Kavanaugh's views regarding um, presidential powers is going to be widely explored. You know, the, the president's issues and challenges that he has are one thing. The Supreme Court is, is something else. And so uh, I'm ready to work when the, when the work is before us. And this is moving forward, and I'm ready to do all the work required of me. Are you leaning one way or the other yet after what you've seen so far? I, I am not. We still have uh, more of the hearing to go through. Um, I'm still reviewing the cases that he's, uh, um, he's been part of and the information that he's been part of in terms of speeches and others. And so I'm still working on that. I want to make sure we get all our homework done and to make the very best possible decision for the state of Indiana. There's a case moving through the courts right now that has been an issue in the Senate race as well, talking about this lawsuit that could potentially do away, for, do away with health coverage for those with pre-existing conditions. It's one of the issues where you have opposed the president, and it came up in the Kavanaugh hearings as well. What are you willing to do? What can you do in the Senate to fight this? I will do everything I can to, uh, to stop any effects that this case might have. This case is called Texas versus the United States, and Indiana is actually, our attorney general has joined this lawsuit to end health care coverage uh, through the Affordable Care Act, to end coverage for over 400,000 Hoosiers who are on HIP 2.0. If they are successful with this lawsuit, 400,000 Hoosiers immediately lose their coverage. And, and my job is to fight for Hoosiers and Hoosier families. And so I'll do everything I can to fight back against this lawsuit. You've said that's something you would uh, be willing to take the administration on, but you've also said there are places where you agree with the president on issues like border security and the wall, and you've certainly faced some criticism from those in your own party for taking that 
position, but more broadly when it comes to Democrats and the president, you even have a, a fellow Democrat here in Indiana, Andre Carson, who said maybe because of what we've seen legally involving the president, we should be looking into impeachment hearings. What is your response to that and how delicate a balancing act is it in the Trump era to be a Democrat in the Senate in a state like Indiana when you have all of these important issues and legal controversies all playing out at the same time? Well, my job is to not be the Democrat representing Indiana. It's to be the United States Senator representing Indiana and representing all of our people. And so when the president is right uh, in, in regards to things like right to try legislation, where we work together to provide critical health care coverage, I'll be with him every time. Um, when the president is wrong, like he has been in trying to take away coverage for pre-existing conditions, I'll fight him. Because I don't work for this president or any other president. I work for the people of Indiana. I answer only to you. And so um, that's how I view this job and that's how I approach it every day. What is your reaction to Andre Carson's uh, remarks about impeachment hearings? You know, I haven't even paid um, uh, attention to that because I'm working on our issues over here in the Senate in regards to the Supreme Court and other areas. I've not called for impeachment. I don't think at this point um, it's appropriate. And I think that this is a discussion at this point that doesn't make sense while the special prosecutor is still doing his work. All right, Senator Joe Donnelly talking with us this week. By the way, Donnelly and Braun will both take part in a candidate forum later today with the African-American Coalition of Indianapolis, 2 p.m. this afternoon at the Indianapolis Public Library. We think it's very important that the African-American community have an opportunity to hear in a very direct way from public officials about what their priorities are, what their perspective is on issues that we might have some concerns about as citizens. Again, that event coming up later today. Coming up next this morning, who wrote it? Back to our top story on the big name Hoosiers denying their involvement in that anonymous op-ed. And later, a new season and a new controversy over Nike's new ad campaign, reigniting the debate in some ways over the national anthem. Stick around. We'll be right back. All right, let's bring in our panel now. Jennifer Wagner is the former communications director for the Indiana Democrats, two former state lawmakers, Republican Mike Murphy, Democrat Christina Hale, and Indy Star columnist Tim Swearens. And Tim, I want to start with you because you also spent 15 years as the opinions editor of the Star. So I want to get your take here first on this anonymous op-ed that ran in the New York Times, pretty stunning words from a senior White House official, as they were described. And you wrote this week in the Indy Star that, in your mind, this op-ed is a mistake, though its content and findings are are very stunning, you're not sure it should have gone to print. Not without a name attached. I think the, the anonymity of the writer poses a severe problem for readers trying to evaluate how seriously to take this, this message that is very strong in his opinions against the president. Christina, your thoughts? Well, I do want to preface by saying I did successfully predict who shot JR back in the day. <laughs> I don't know so who, who did it. Who I, don't know, I don't know who it was. But I will say, uh, in these particularly fractious times, especially with all of these allegations of fake news, this is potentially damaging when we're trying to underscore the importance of media, of journalism, and, and this really just kind of. Um, uh, really brings some more fissures and questions, I think, in far too many people's minds. Why not sign your op-ed? 
Stunning I'll, concept. I'll take though. the opposite tack. Uh, I think that the writer, be it he or she, uh, actually achieved more notoriety by having to be anonymous because they've created this parlor game that's been going on for days now about who this is. More people have paid attention to it than if it would have been Kevin Hassett or Gary Cohn or any one individual, somebody would have, would have tried to write him off. It's very difficult. I think it's more difficult to write it off because of the way it's been presented. Eventually it'll come out, just like Deep Throat came out, and, and that person will either have credibility or he or she won't. And the person who turned out to be Deep Throat uh, initially denied being deep throat that's, way back when. That's Four true. Years. So it could be any one of these 40 people who have already denied this. I actually, I'm going to disagree with Mike. It's like topsy-turvy on the show this week. And agree with Mike Pence. I think that, look, if you have this much trouble working for someone and this is your boss, you know what? Maybe don't even write the op-ed. Just write your resignation letter, get it out of that job, and then write a tell-all. Although I guess that's been done a lot of times in the last year and a half. But it, this, it, I agree with Christina. This doesn't help anybody, and it just makes us more fractured and makes it harder to have a real conversation. And speaking of Mike Pence, an awful lot of attention toward the vice president's office this week on this story. Although he has come out and said, he, it wasn't me, it wasn't anybody in my he office. He strongly denied it, yeah. and, and, and I think uh, most people who understand how this game is played know it's not Mike Pence, right? I mean, it just, that's just not going to happen. First of all, if it were Mike Pence... What a fantastic story for the New York Times that the Vice President of the United States is trying to undercut the President. The Times would not be sitting. He wouldn't on be that. granting anonymity. It, to it, a, exactly. To a so, vice so president. just from a journalistic standpoint, it would be uh, malpractice to grant anonymity to the Vice President. It's never going to happen. But again, some people pointing at, pointing fingers at some of the Hoosiers uh, in D.C. at the VP or perhaps someone on his staff. Pence denying uh, any involvement. A lot of people, though, looking his way initially because of uh, one word in that op-ed that, that Pence has used frequently. And so vigilance and resolve will be our lodestar. We will continue to act with vigilance and resolve as our lodestar. Must again be our lodestar. It probably won't take long for us to find out who wrote it, who has denied it already. The vice president, that was my first thought. Uh, <laughs> Dan Coates, Pompeo, they denied that they have written it. Again, Pence denied any involvement. So did Coates, uh, saying in this statement, speculation that the op-ed was written by me or my principal deputy is patently false. We did not. Also denying any involvement, Attorney General Jeff Sessions, who was here in Indianapolis on Thursday. He did not address the controversy or any of the tension this past week, uh, the ongoing tension between the President and the Justice Department at that speech to local law enforcement officials. But again, uh, again, guys, it's interesting how many administration officials have been out there adamantly saying it wasn't me. And then here you have uh, the House Minority Leader also it, it, laughing it, at the situation this week. And that's a, part of, a big too. part of the problem with granting anonymity. We have the House Minority Leader uh, spreading rumors that she knows to be false. She knows it's not the Vice President. Uh, why is she bringing that up? It's, it's irresponsible on her part. I do think the immediate and so many denials amp up the sensational factor. The last thing we need is more drama, drama, drama. And I disagree once again with Mike. I think it does. You know, it's, it's a theme. It's, <laughs> it is. Poor Mike. It just makes everything more like reality TV. I don't think it's a legitimizing factor being anonymous, but it does make it sensational. And that is what we do not need in this country right now. The murderer always brags. Someday down the road, somebody's going to get drunk at a bar in Washington and they're going to say, you know what? I'm I'm the one who wrote that op-ed piece. But I want to get back to what Tim said. I also say that the New York Times would not risk their journalistic credibility by printing an anonymous 
op-ed piece that they had not checked out for being credible with whoever the source oh, was. Oh, absolutely, but I think expectations among the public is different from what the Times was working with. The, 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 the op-ed editor who had direct contact with the writer said that in, in choosing which terms to describe this author, they use their common language when they use anonymous sources within an administration. Senior official can cover a wide range, literally hundreds of people. Sure. The expectation from the public was, oh, this had to be somebody in the inner circle. In all likelihood, it's not. Yeah, this is the most Washington story out of Washington this right. week. So how does the public view it? Well, I honestly don't know that they care, yeah. and I, probably the most troubling thing about this is that nothing in the letter was actually all that revealing. Oh my gosh, Donald Trump is a little bit amok. He doesn't actually make decisions in a, in a thoughtful and logical way. In this Bob Woodward book. Yes, I mean, the that's street. the most shocking thing is that I think probably members of the public are like, oh, okay, something else that validates what we already think about this guy who tweets at 3 a.m., you know, taking aim at his own party as much as he takes aim at the opposite party. I guess the one, the one big fact in that story that needs to be hammered out journalistically is the revelation that the 25th Amendment was discussed at the White House? That's been yes. mentioned before, and I don't think there's any real news here other than the fact I think the public should be comforted, not alarmed, because now they know that there are people who care about the Republic inside the White House working to mitigate what I would call, describe, is the president's spasms of judgment or misjudgment, depending on which side of the, the aisle you're on, so to speak. I think it's a comforting thing. I think the guy's a patriot. All right, so again, because of this op-ed, there's uh, been more talk, as we said, about the, the 25th Amendment. You heard Joe Donnelly earlier saying uh, he doesn't think it's time to talk about anything like that, the president being impeached or removed or anything uh, along the lines of impeachment hearings. But, guys, how much additional drama, I guess, does all of this add to the midterms, to the Kavanaugh confirmation. Uh, it just seems like there are a lot of things happening all at once right now. We have said for weeks, if not months, that tying yourself to Donald Trump as a Republican was fraught with peril. Great way to get through the primary, but quite possibly dangerous in the, in the November election, which is getting closer and closer. I think the more erratic Donald Trump looks, the harder it is for Republicans to, to go and tack closer to him and walk that line with moderates and even some Democrats. Trump's, anybody who backs Trump is going to get at least the same 40% that Trump has, particularly here in Indiana. The problem is 40% doesn't get you to 51%. And so how do people like Mike Braun and, and other congressional candidates and, and legislative candidates get to that 51%? They still have to appeal to the classic Indiana independent and moderate. They don't win with Trump alone. Trump helps them win, but they don't win alone. What did you Trump. make of that Senate poll this week, Joe Donnelly, up by uh, a slim margin, but it also showed that the Libertarian candidate could play a real spoiler role here. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think everybody was really hungry for some good polling data and to finally get to put some evidence to all of our opinions. So um, it's looking good right now, and I think Joe Donnelly's probably taking a little bit of a breather in a very dramatic week for him Although as well. Although still a lot of pressure on him on that Kavanaugh vote. Yeah, absolutely, and I think it's mixed results for Joe Donnelly. He is ahead, according to this poll, but at 44% and an incumbent, that's not a good number. How about the Kavanaugh hearing? Some of that got overshadowed this week because of the op-ed. All of it got overshadowed. I don't think most people in America who are watching just the nightly news have any idea that these hearings went on. Or if they do, they saw a couple of clips of a potential 2020 Democratic contender asking a question about a hot-button issue. Probably most of America didn't. Yeah, that, nobody right? tuned in for you know all 36 hours. All right, we got to leave it there. Up next, the new NFL season brings new controversy over Colin Kaepernick, the national anthem and Nike. So what are Hoosiers saying? We'll be right back.
Welcome back. No doubt the new Nike ad campaign featuring the face of Colin Kaepernick will be a big topic of discussion as the NFL season kicks off later today. Nick McGill has reaction. As the line between sports and politics becomes even more blurred, a bombshell by Nike. Former 49ers quarterback Colin Kaepernick now the face of their new campaign. Reaction to the move online was swift, many praising the company, while many others now returning, cutting, or burning their gear. I would say this is taking a risk on their part. But associate marketing professor Dan McQuiston says it's clearly a risk Nike is willing to take. Hoosiers also seem split. This guy is a hero for what he's done. He started a very important movement. Anybody that doesn't stand for the national anthem, I don't think is uh, worthy of anything. That was Nick McGill reporting. We're back to wrap things up right after this. Time now for this week's winners and losers. Jen, we'll start with you. So excited I get to go first. Uh, my winner is Brett Kavanaugh, who got pretty much a pass this week. My loser is whoever has to bring Donald Trump his Diet Cokes, which he drinks obsessively, <laughs> because he had a really tough week and he's probably real stressed. Mm, my loser has to be Donald Trump. Every time we think he has the worst week ever, he has the worst week ever. My winner has to be Eric Holcomb. A billion dollars in investment announced, uh, $600 million for the Section 6 of I-65, and then tons of money for rail and bike trails and walking trails and all that. My winner this week could be uh, Governor Holcomb as well, who told me that he really enjoys watching In Focus on Sunday mornings. Um, who Good knew? morning, Governor. Hey, who Governor. knew? Right. Um, thank you for that. And also Mario Rodriguez, who received the Sagamore of the uh, Wabash from him for all of his tremendous work for our community Airport and our director. Indianapolis Airport. That's right. Mm -hmm. I'm going to make it a hat trick for Governor Holcomb. He's he's my winner for the infrastructure package and for Brett Kavanaugh as well. Uh, he's he's on his way to a lifetime appointment to the Supreme Court. And and how lucky can you get the week of confirmation hearings? It's not the biggest story. Yeah, this huge story of the op-ed certainly taking a lot of the headlines. Much more to come this morning on Fox News Sunday and Face the Nation. We'll see you again next Sunday in Focus. Talking after the show here, a little bit more behind the scenes. Obviously, we talked a lot about this uh, this op-ed. That was the big story in Washington this week. And we were talking about how it kind of took away uh, from some of the other headlines. And obviously, the Kavanaugh confirmation hearing uh, was pretty top of mind uh, this past week. And, and that will continue to be a big factor in the, in the Senate race. From what you saw this week, you think Senator Donnelly more likely, less likely to vote for Kavanaugh here in the end? I... I would say more likely, um, just because there really hasn't been a big bombshell revelation in these confirmation hearings. You know, we'll see what's in the, the documents that were released. But, I, you know, it's, it's funny, I was talking to someone in our office about this, about how 20 years ago you needed all this time to vet these folks. But because everything is digital, and because he's actually not very old, everything that he would or could have done that would have come out in this process would have already probably come to light. And I mean, there are definitely real questions of where he stands on issues of, of public importance and how he will rule on those as a justice. But gosh, he, he did pretty well. Which take from the I think Kavanaugh it's hearings. more likely um, that, that Donnelly votes. I mean, he's, he's up four, six, four to six points, whatever. The, the thing about, about Donnelly right now is he just has to avoid mistakes to win. Republicans are not terribly offended by Donnelly, quite frankly. There, he hasn't done anything from a policy standpoint or from a personal standpoint or from an attention-getting standpoint that really drives Republican nuts. And so, so if, as long as he votes for, for Kavanaugh, 
avoids any big mistakes in the next eight weeks, he's still our senator. The conventional wisdom is that the, the map is, is obviously very good for Republicans this year to keep the Senate, but there were also some polls this week in Tennessee and some places that had some people uh, starting to think maybe the, the Senate is in play uh, to flip. If, if that's the case, we'll see even more scrutiny than we're seeing now on this Indiana race, don't you think? I, I do, and I think the pressure is truly amped up on Senator Donnelly, also because it does seem that the Democrats are targeting two states in particular to flip them on the vote, those being Maine and Alaska. So if you see some of the documents, we didn't discuss um, at length either the Senator Booker's release of some of these things. One of the items had to do with a ruling or some some uh, some thought expressed in writing by um, Judge Kavanaugh that uh, regarding the indigenous populations of Hawaii, which immediately were. Uh, the senator there telegraphed to her counterpart in Alaska saying you really need to pay attention to this because it speaks to your base in a way that um, might make things difficult for you in future. Same with Maine and some of his thought regarding um, uh, abortion. So if they can flip those two seats which had signal that they would support could it come down to the wire? Could it be a very, very close vote meaning um, his vote could make or break what happens? I think it's likely to vote for, uh, for all the reasons that have been stated. Uh, I think it's going to be very hard for Joe Donnelly to justify a no vote. Uh, a, you know, a moderate Democrat from Indiana can't use the same logic and reasoning that if you're representing Massachusetts, it's just not going to play here. And and Brett Kavanaugh came across as a as a very um, reasonable jurist in these hearings. Uh, I think what most people took away from it was all the antics uh, from protesters and the grandstanding from Democratic centers like Cory Booker, uh, you know, his I am Spartacus moment flopped and, and it kind of embarrassed him more than it did Brett Kavanaugh. And, and again, for somebody like Joe Donnelly in this political climate and him, him being here in Indiana, it's, it's sometimes a, a matter of distancing himself from other Democrats, yes. from, from Cory Booker or from, from Chuck Schumer or from uh, some of the uh, Democratic politicians on the coast of this day and age. We talked about this being overshadowed. Uh, some other local stories that were also overshadowed. You guys all talked about Governor Holcomb's um, infrastructure announcements uh, this week, and that really an all-encompassing uh, announcement, talking about transportation, talking about uh, things uh, uh, like internet service and other, other things to help uh, in different parts of the state. Uh, Governor Holcomb, for the most part, his, his first couple years in office, uh, somewhat under the radar, avoiding controversies. He's the most pragmatic governor I've ever run into. Uh, he is a problem solver. And that plays well across uh, both parties. He took Karen Freeman Wilson on a foreign trade trip with him. He looks to solve problems no matter whether they're in white neighborhoods or black neighborhoods or Democratic regions or Republican regions. And that, that builds goodwill and ultimately it builds... Uh, it builds teamwork and success. You know, within just a very short time, relatively short time, every Hoosier will live within five mile, miles of a biking slash walking trail, which is good for public health, it's good for all kinds of stuff, conviviality and everything else, saying hi to your neighbors and everything else. And then you got the broadband, which we have been a leader, a national leader in broadband regulation and then investment since 2006. And that's been, Mitch Daniels said, one of the three best things that ever happened in his administration. So what's Holcomb doing? He's just taking it, without, no pun intended, to the next level. That, that's, that's the motto, I guess, right? So he's a couple years away 
from from running. There's been uh, rumors, perhaps, of a primary challenge. Could we see that uh, from someone on the on the far right in Indiana? We keep joking with Christina too about 2020 because you're on the you can make the announcement now. 2016. <laughs> you're on the podcast. Who runs against him in, in 2020? I have no idea because, and I, you know, not to give away the column, I just filed for another publication that's not the Indianapolis Star. Um, he's a no-drama governor, and he's listened to people. He's worked across the aisle, and if nobody's really ticked off, I mean, he doesn't give people the reason to vote against him. I honestly don't know. I mean, Christina, you you would be a great candidate. I would heartily support you running, but thank you. I mean, I he's he's just not going to be easy to beat, and so I don't know who we have, honestly who wants to step up to that challenge and says, maybe this isn't my year, maybe I'm going to run in 2024. I, I think so, somebody will run against him. Sure. Well, hypo yes. Hypothetically, uh, you know, how would you approach um, running against somebody like who's quietly competent in all the things that you've said, somebody like Eric Holcomb? And I would reiterate that Christine is a great individual, and I would hardly endorse her not running. <laughs> no, I don't, I mean, that's a good question. Too. But what, yeah, know, what's I mean, the approach? Right. What, what I mean, is the approach? Somebody, the, the Democrats, I think somebody, Democrats will put somebody well, sure. up, right? Well, thing, I mean, right you, could, you could run the We Can Do Better Mitch campaign. Daniels faced an, a, a, an but, opponent. I can't remember her name, but... Uh, Joanne Thompson, Thompson yes. that's a sore spot because I <laughs> worked for her opponent in the primary who now works for Eric Holcomb, which is right, a there telling, you go, right? ironic <laughs> twist of history. Um... There are so can, many telling ironic twists. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even, yeah. But it's, I mean, you can't, you can run the We Can Do Better campaign, but we're, we're Hoosiers, right? We're actually pretty okay being C students, um, which is, I, I'm one of us, so I can say that. Yeah. You can't, I mean, Mitch Daniels pissed off a lot of people. His first two years in office, he pissed off a lot of people mm -hmm. by doing big, bold changes and really not listening to anyone. It worked. And was reelected by a wide margin right. in a year that the state went to President Obama. Because he ran yes. alongside yeah. President Obama as the yeah. change agent. It was crazy. But I don't know, honestly, I don't know how you run that campaign right now. Now, maybe two years from now, we're in a whole different ballgame. Well, in addition to Christine, there's a couple other Democrats I would have thought of had the profile to run, but at least one of them, I think, has taken himself out of active office. One is Scott Peloth, another is Terry Gooden very out, uh, well spoken articulate leaders in their own party I don't know about Gooden, but it seems like Piloth has said those days have passed about. Mayor Hogsett's been whispered about, too, in that regard. Anyone think he would take a crack at it? Uh, you know, I mean, he's a good friend of mine. I think but he's, how many times has he run for something? The yeah. U.S. Senate, the and, Secretary and of State, statewide. the Mayor, yeah. Congress. Yeah. I mean, and he is my runner-up in the No Drama column, but, I mean, <laughs> not to, I'm giving away all the secrets here. Sorry, IBJ. Um, but... I don't know. I don't know how you beat no drama with no drama. Yes, I don't, I'm, I'm not, not sure. I, mean, I think Hogsett has a very good chance of winning re-election next year. Why would you walk, walk away from a secure office to run for an office you're probably going to lose? Or you wouldn't be giving it up because it's not the same election. You well, could but still you, I mean, honestly, remain no, you, mayor. But, but I don't know. Would, I mean, it would be very difficult to be a full-time mayor of Indianapolis and run for statewide office. Yeah, and he'd realistically have to make that decision this year because people get pissed off if you run, run for re-election, you win, and then you're like, else. just kidding, right. I actually want this job. Sure, sure. And I can tell you from experience how important the top of the ticket, the very top of the ticket is in this race, and we just don't know. I would say there's a lot of mystery, Jen, in our party as well about who's going to run for president, who's going to run for governor, and it all makes a difference, a really significant difference. Yeah. John Gregg is still active in some regards on Twitter talking about politics. I mean, you, you never know if he'll give it a try again, it, right? How does a Democrat in Indiana win twice. for governor when you're likely to have an extreme candidate on the left running for president in 2020? 
they're going to have to somewhat come that person's way. They're going to have to appear to them on stage. You're going to have to be in certain events with them. And, you know, the, as you said, Tim, so well, you know, the Hawaii way, the Massachusetts way is not the Indiana way in Republican or Democratic politics. And we tend to be much closer together than other states are. Yeah. To your point, Governor Holcomb could be on the ballot with uh, President Trump in 2020 as well. I mean, we right. just don't know but what that the actually, dynamic That actually helped him in 2016. In 2016 it helped, does you know? it in 2020? We didn't even have an extreme candidate. No one can see my air quotes, I'm making air quotes. <laughs> uh, we didn't have an extreme candidate on the ticket in 2016 and, you know, People came out to vote against her, and that's why you're sitting here, Christina, instead of you know sitting in the state house. And that like that point cannot be driven home enough that the top of the ticket is going to matter so so much. Yeah. It, although it, it's interesting, um, I, I had Democrats, uh, including your former running mate, tell me uh, in 2014, 2015, that Hillary Clinton was an extremely unpopular candidate in Indiana, and that proved to be true. Yeah. Um, and so if it's not Hillary Clinton, it won't be Hillary Clinton, uh, maybe that mitigates some of the people who turned out because they were voting against her rather than for Donald Trump. But Mike's got a decent point. I mean, she is, if you look at her record, she, I mean, she's a Clinton. She's a, obviously, she's an establishment Democrat. You know, she has the name. Like, she is not, I would not call her extreme any more than I would call George W. Bush. Right. I mean, that's just not who we're talking about. And so I think we're likelier to get someone who will bear that moniker of, you know, East or West Coast liberal. And we can't, that's, that's a tough thing to sell She's in Indiana. She's not extreme, but I, I'm curious about your thoughts. She was very politicized. Yes. So that's a little bit different in that she brought that kind of baggage to the race, which wasn't so much about who she was or what she was going to do, but about her public persona. And the, the personal animus toward her was yes. being unmatched, I think, in recent decades yes. towards a candidate. Yes, I agree. Right, but looking at the bench on, on our side, I mean, there are a lot of people on there who are likely to bring out that same level of animus. Yeah, and I think that the, the, the National Democratic Party has to decide what it's going to be. Is it, is it going to be the Bernie Sanders... Cory Booker party? Is it going to be the Joe Donnelly party? Is there some place in between those two? And I think former President Obama's speech uh, Friday spoke to that in some ways. I don't know if any of you guys heard some of that. Uh, it seemed as if he was uh, trying to call the Democratic Party um, away from the extremes in some ways, uh, perhaps uh, a subtle uh, endorsement or encouragement to his former running mate to run for president, uh, Joe Biden, who we heard from uh, just last week at one of the McCain uh, eulogies. I think um, you're right about that, Dan. I think that was definitely a wink and a nod, mm -hmm. you know, to... But he has his age going against him. I'm not sure yeah. where it will be in 2020. It's the same age as Donald Trump. I think Joe Biden would be a very formidable candidate uh, because he can appeal to more moderate voters. Go into Pennsylvania and... Yes. Uh, Blue-collar like voters. Well, I, mean, I, mean, I gotta be honest, voters, I mean, yeah. I love President Obama. I worked for his administration, but he himself became a divisive, polarizing face of the party for eight years and in many ways led us led us to a Donald Trump presidency. Fairly or unfairly? Fairly, I mean, yeah. no, totally yeah. unfairly, yeah. I would say. I mean, but yeah. I, like, he's an interesting messenger for that message. And it's hard not to be the face of a party this day and age when politics are so polarized and not become a polarizing yeah, figure. Yeah, absolutely.
And we have no tolerance. You know, I always come back to that um, Mitch Daniels quote about don't let perfection be the enemy of the good. And we have a whole lot of that going on right now where people say, oh, you did this thing. And I'll tell you, you will never align perfectly with any candidate ever unless that candidate is yourself. That's true. I mean, most people can say that about like a spouse. Which, which brings me yeah, back. Yeah, everything. Which brings me back to Christina. I think Christina. <laughs> I think Christina can do far more to improve Hoosier society as a member of the panel of independents <laughs> than she can traipsing all over the state, breaking high heels over the place, running for you governor. You can't run because Mike will miss you. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we'll certainly have to talk more about that yeah. on future podcasts. We also wanted to mention uh, uh, the, the passing of, of Mary Moriarty Adams this week. Yeah. Uh, we spent a long time in the Indianapolis Council. She was one of the first persons when I became an officeholder in 1994 to welcome me for the other side of the aisle, so to speak. And, you know, that great Irish smile of hers. And, of course, she grew up in Irvington. My dad grew up in Irvington. We had something in common. But she was very good in her common sense advice and, hey, you know, kind of don't worry. Don't let the... Don't let the BS get you down. Just do what you think is right and keep moving forward. And she always had a smile on her face. She was great. I, I was introduced to her in 1998 when I first joined the Stars editorial board. And she was introduced to me as the sidewalk lady. Yeah. Uh, because oh. she talked long before it was trendy. She talked about connectivity and sidewalks and the importance of infrastructure improving the quality of life. And yeah. when I was a, a baby reporter for the Indianapolis Star, that was that was always what she talked about, the list of sidewalks she had mm -hmm. and accessibility. So, and she, I mean, she is a great reminder, too, that some of our best public servants are the people who are closest to the people who are out there every day, who are listening to their constituents and who have to, quite honestly, because they live down the block from them and they can't ignore them. But what a, what a loss. Very well said. A big name uh, in local politics, no doubt. So many things happening this past week. We'll figure out who wrote that op-ed one of these days. We didn't even talk about the um, Woodward book. And the Woodward book. We know who wrote yeah. the Woodward yeah. book. Yeah, we, Woodward. we got that one. <laughs> well, and, and that's an interesting a side note of the, of the New York Times op-ed is that you know Bob Woodward's book was kind of largely overshadowed this week because of that op-ed. Uh, another win for the New York Times over the Washington Post. Well, I would say it may have may have enhanced it. I don't know because you're it's spinning Some of all, the this, same all this all this is that were you know, expressed in that and all that yeah. kind of thing. I think the interesting thing among Republicans was the reaction to the Woodward book because you had Newt Gingrich coming out in Twee and this is just a work of fiction. I'm telling Trump to ignore it and continue to govern. But then Ari Flesher, who has his own stature and credibility in the United in Washington and New York, said, Wait a minute, I've been on the wrong side of his reporting many times, but he's always been honest, he's always been accurate, he's always been ethical. Somebody told him that stuff. Yes. And isn't it something, I, I guess, this day and age uh, to see Woodward and Bernstein at the front of a lot of this <laughs> investigating That's right. going on right now? The more things right. right. the more yes. they say the same. That's yeah. right. See, Dan, you get a really good story and you'll have a career for 40 years. There you go, All right, guys. A lot of fun. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you next week here on Thanks. In Focus.